Hello everyone and welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Cassie. And I'm Drew. You had a long pause there and I was afraid I'd said it backwards. Oh. I was afraid nope. you're gonna call me out on saying the name backwards. Uh, did you say it backwards? I wasn't listening that closely. I didn't. I don't think I did. I said slippers and spindles. That's our name, right? That's so funny. We're professional podcasters. We know what the name of our podcast is. (laughs) Hey, I have never said it wrong. I don't think I have either. I'm just paranoid that I'm going to at some point. That's so funny. I, I, for some reason in my head, it's Totally makes sense. Slippers and spindles every time. I've never even mixed it up. So it's really funny to me that other people do. So how's life? So I actually have news for once. So my friend is releasing a book and it comes out on November 12th, which as of the release of this podcast is tomorrow. And this book is called Queen of Hell. And it is a retelling of the myth of Persephone and Hades set in the 18th century. So I thought it's something that you and our listeners may be interested in. And I actually designed the cover of the book. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited for it to release. I'm so excited to read the whole thing. Um, Again, it's called Queen of Hell. It's by Danae L. Sams. And I'll definitely put a link in our facebook group for everyone if you're interested in reading it but isn't that cool that is really cool and i do love a good hades and persephone retelling yeah we're all about retellings here yeah and one of my favorite web comics right now is lore olympus Mm -hmm. which if you also like lore olympus you should come scream with me i'm a fast passer and i don't know what that means to me a fast passer is someone at disney world so same idea Okay. Uh, the the platform that the web comic is on is called Webtoons, and basically it's a platform for artists to release web series. Sure. And so they'll release episodes every week, but if the artist is part of this program, they'll release like three episodes ahead, and you can purchase access to. Oh, okay. It's okay. called a fast pass. Okay. And I gotcha. wasn't going to because once you're on that train, you can't get off that train. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, you jump ahead back. three weeks, you're not then going to wait three weeks to mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. with the regular people. So I held off for a long time, and then she went on hiatus, and then she came back, and it was like super high stakes at the end of every uh, episode, and. I I caved and so I fast pass. <laughs> but so, so you fast pass of- when you fast pass. Like, doesn't that only help you one time? Because now you have to you're then consistently- keep fast passing. Like once you do it once. Yeah, but so you, every time you do it once, you're now three weeks ahead, and then then you're just on a regular schedule again. Yes, but you're three weeks ahead consistently if you continue to buy the fast pass. So it's like every week she releases. Two episodes. She releases the regular episode for everybody. And then like a new jump ahead episode for those of us who are ahead. It's 100% a ploy to get more money and I have bought into it. Okay. No, that makes a lot more sense to me. I was thinking there was only one episode a week. So I was like, if there's only one episode, then you skip two episodes one time and then you're just... Never mind. Uh, What you explained (laughs) makes way more sense. But 
Anyway, how are you? Regardless, I am all about a good Hades and Persephone retelling, yeah. so I'm very intrigued and interested. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Um, my library, for the first time, is actually running a young writers program for NaNoWriMo, which is really exciting. Ooh, cool. Um, I finally convinced my boss that she should let me do that, so we're all virtual. We've mentioned NaNoWriMo before on the podcast, but we've never said the full name of it, so... Right. NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. Yes. So the goal for anyone who participates, the goal is to write 50,000 words, which is not technically a novel, but the idea is just to get you writing. And I fully intended on participating this year, and I haven't written a single word. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, that will be different. But how's your program going? It's going really well. I've participated sporadically over the past yeah. like decade or so in NaNoWriMo. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah, um, I did it once in high school, and then I did it last year, actually. I, I really like it, but the struggle that I ran into last year when I did it is that last year I had a yearly writing goal to write every day. And so I had a really mm. hard time with the transition from October, from 10 months of writing, even a sentence is success to jumping into November where it's like you have to write 1,600 words a day to meet your mark. Mm. I had a really difficult time with that transition and it kind of stressed me out a lot. And so the benefit of doing the Young Writers Program at my library is they kind of tone it down a little bit for, you know, young people who are writing. And they give the young participants the flexibility to choose their own goal. So they can do 50,000 words if they want to, but if they're just starting out and they – want something that feels more attainable, they can plug in a different goal. So my kids have goals anywhere from 3,000 words over the course of the month, which is 100 words a day, up to, I think, 15,000 words is my my maximum student's uh, goal, Mm. which is, I think, 500 words a day. And so because I'm running the program, I get to make my account through the Young Writers Program so I can also set my own goal. So I have given myself the goal of 25,000. For the month, but my actual goal is to That's decent. finish draft one of the big novel manuscripts that I'm working on right now. Yes. My goal this month is also for you to finish the draft of that manuscript. <laughs> I know it is. That's been your goal for me for the past 18 years. Yes, it's true. Um, I, I really think that NaNoWriMo is it's so cool, and I like that you're setting your own goals. I think I heard... A high-ranking NaNoWriMo organizer person on the Happy Writer, Marissa Myers podcast, I'm pretty sure. And I think he even talked about how like 50,000 is the goal that we set just for everyone in general. But like writing anything at all is success. Whether or not you hit 50,000. Last year I hit 40. And I was still like, you know what? I haven't written 40,000 years in like a decade. So yeah, I didn't hit 50, but... But anything that you write is more than you would have written... Exactly. You just sat and didn't participate at all, which is what I tell my kids as yeah. we're working on it. Like, because my, my kid who's doing 3,000 words felt a little like, oh, maybe I should do more when the other kids that they're doing 15. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is all about you. This is about what you feel you can take on because you're also a student. You're also in school. Yeah. And I told him, I said, your minimum goal can be 3,000, but if you find yourself you know, writing above and beyond that, that's fine. That's great. It's not going to yeah, like cut exactly. you off when you hit that goal. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, and so I, I've hit my my daily goal every day so far this month, except for Tuesday, because other things were yeah. occupying were things my happening. attention on Tuesday. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, 
You know who is an author who may or may not have ever done Nano? I'm not sure. Who? Shannon Hale, who wrote this book. Wow. <laughs> it was wow. really bad, I know. <laughs> Maybe we should leave the transitions to me. <laughs> Maybe I should. I've, I've been infected by my co-host of my other <laughs> podcast, uh, Shakespeare. Her name is Beth, and she has the worst segues. We call them Bethways because they're so like notoriously bad. I picked them up from her. I think segues on podcasts are the funniest thing. So <laughs> the bad ones are are better than the good ones, to be honest. So it's Shannon Hale. There you go. Shannon and, and Dean Hale. And Dean Hale, who are husband and wife, uh, have written the book that we are talking about today. It's called Rapunzel's Revenge. It is a graphic novel, and the illustrations are done by Nathan Hale, who is no relation to them or to the famous Broadway star. Right. I'm assuming you've read this book before. Oh, yes. Yes. I had never read it before. I had seen the cover on Sir Laloon. I had read about it on Goodreads, but I had never picked it up. Initial thoughts? I I was trying to remember earlier today, like when the first time I read this book was. It came out in 2008, and I don't think I read it then, um, but I like Shannon Hale. She is one of my favorite uh, middle grade young adult authors. She's one I go to to recommend a lot. Um, and I read her Goose Girl adaptation called The Goose Girl, oh. which is really good and probably one of my top 10 favorite um, fairy yeah. tale novels. And so I was aware of this one. And the cover's awesome. It's Rapunzel dressed mm-hmm. in like cowgirl gear with her long hair and braids that she's using like lassos. So it's it's Rapunzel meets the Wild West with magic. And Jack and the Beanstalk. And Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes. So yeah. for the second week in a row, we're teaming up Rapunzel with Jack. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I've got thoughts about it, and I'm going to try really hard to save them for the wrap-up because okay. I don't want to do too much comparison across. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I know a couple of our other takes this month are going to feed into those comparisons, so I want to like really try hard to wait and do it all together. But Okay, okay. Yeah, Rapunzel's Revenge, uh, graphic novel. So if you haven't read it, it reads really fast. Uh, it's not long, mm-hmm. and graphic novels always read quicker. You know me. I always say I'm a bad reader, and I read this in two days. It's uh, Actually, I may have read it in one day. I forget. Uh, but yeah, super easy read. Yeah. So again, we're not spoiler-free, and so if you haven't read this book, we mm-hmm. are going to be spoiling it. But mm-hmm. honestly, you can pause us right now and go yeah. find it. And in like an hour, you can probably come back and listen <laughs> yeah. because it does read really quickly. Yeah, yeah. But this is the first time we've done a graphic novel. It is. You know what? I think this may also be the first graphic novel I have ever read. Really? Yeah. I find that I really, I, I often just want to like sit and look at the art and so I, I don't find myself progressing through the story. This, I thought the art was like, it was just the right level of engaging and like it not distracting. And it was cool for me to to see how they use the art as part of the storytelling. Because like in a book, you have to describe and mention everything through the text, right? And then this, there are there are plot points that you only see visually that then come to light at the end, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I really like graphic novels. I'm, I'm a librarian, so 
Sure. And I'm a children's librarian at that. And a really, really good way to engage reluctant readers is to give them a graphic novel because Mm. you get a lot of kids who maybe struggle with reading. Graphic novels are great because you don't have to have as much – like if you have lower comprehension skills, it's okay because the pictures are there to help you. And so a really good graphic novel is one that blends the prose with the art and uses both aspects to tell the story more completely. You shouldn't have a graphic novel that could exist as only a movie, say, or only a prose novel. Okay. A really good graphic novel should require both halves to tell the whole story. Okay. And so what is your feeling on that as applied to Rapunzel's Revenge? Because I have a thought here. I I think this one does a really good job with that balance mm-hmm. because if you just go through and read the text, you are going to miss out on certain key moments that are happening. Definitely. You're not going to fully understand the world that's been built or the way that the magic is working in that world mm-hmm. and the climax especially. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the the beautiful climactic element there at the very end. Right. Um, yeah. But I think the words lend so much to the character of Rapunzel mm-hmm. and to really immersing you in the story because she speaks in that kind of like yeah, the, hokey yeah. cowgirl kind of way, darn tootin' tarnation, yes. like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the way that she tells her story when she's directly narrating uh, really puts the tone yes. in with the artwork. Yes, yeah, I can see that. Um, my thought was... I definitely agree with what you've said, that the visual elements are important as well as the text. You need both in order to convey this story the way the way that it's presented. But that being said, the story itself to me felt like a video game where it felt like you go to this town, you do this thing, you get a piece of information. You go to another town, you do this thing, you get a piece of information. You go to a third town, etc. And as I was reading through my notes today, my other thought was that it felt like a, a TV series, almost like Avatar The Last Airbender. You know, it's very episodic yeah, as you're going through the story. It's very episodic. Which, again, I think works for this. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think again, it's a bad it's, thing. It's just that yeah. as I was reading it, I was thinking, like, if you adapted this, you wouldn't adapt it as, like, a movie. It would need to be either, like, a kid's show, like Avatar, or... I think it would be a really cool video game. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Play as as Punzi or play as Jack and Oh my gosh, that's uh, my next note is Punzi. Punzi, I know. I love it so much. So let's go into the before we explain Punzi, we should okay. go back to the beginning okay, and, and start talking about plot. Okay. So we start with like direct narration from Rapunzel and it's mm-hmm. like the once upon a time and you see the colors are like really rosy and golden and it's very bright and colorful. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about this kind of idyllic childhood that she had growing up in this beautiful house with all of these rooms and these beautiful gardens uh, and how her life was kind of beautiful and perfect except that around the villa where she lived there was this big tall wall and she didn't know what was on the other side of it and her mother mother gothel Mm -hmm. would not tell her yes she gave her no information and uh rapunzel is having dreams she's having the sense of feeling lost or out of place while simultaneously having these dreams about this man and this woman the woman has red hair just like her, 
It's very obvious to us who they are, but for her, she's just not sure what's going on. So on her 12th birthday, she scales the wall and she she looks outside and she sees like this landscape that's like factories and villages and desert and it's all very dry looking and she manages to get outside of the wall and there's this line of minor slaves and there's a woman in this line and the woman offers Rapunzel a drink of water before she's forced to go back inside and the woman has red hair and she and Rapunzel very quickly piece together that this is her real mother, which I thought yeah. it was so interesting to start the story in a place of Rapunzel not only learning that she has a different mother outside of Mother Gothel, but actually meeting her. Yeah. I think there's a little bit in this sequence to me that feels convenient, a little too like plot convenient like the fact that she's having these Mm -hmm. dreams with these fuzzy memories like that seems that's like a really easy way to kind of make your character aware that something else is going on i i it's okay like i i don't hate it it's just like "Mm, that's a little convenient but okay yeah yeah for the level of storytelling i you know i just kind of accepted it I mean, that's how the whole book is, where they just happen to run into this person in the right place at the right time. So it's just kind of what we're doing. But I, what I do really like about this opening sequence is the way that we're tied in already to that Rapunzel narrative with this Mm -hmm. desert. Mm -hmm. So she's taken that whole bit about Rapunzel gets banished into the desert and made it part of the setting and the landscape already. Yeah. And so basically what we find out about Mother Gothel is that she has growth magic. Mm-hmm. And so she has used that to kind of get power in this throughout this whole land by basically making it impossible to grow anything unless the villages pay her taxes. Uh, because her growth magic works, she can either help things grow or she can take away everything that they need to grow. Right. And so as these villages uh, you know, find new land, she slowly like takes more and more of that land for herself leaving this dusty barren desert wilderness yeah which also feeds in really well to the wild west element that shannon and dean hale are are putting into the story so i really like i just i really like the way that the world is built with a Mm -hmm. nod to the original story yeah and I think that the way that they use the growth magic throughout the story is just like really smart, really, really smart. So we'll touch on it as we go through. Yeah. So she remembers her mother. Um, Part of the way that comes about, it's not quite as convenient as we made it sound. She does tell her mother what her name is. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Part of how, what her mother's name is Kate. That's part of how Kate pieces it together. She's named for this lettuce. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so Rapunzel is, you know, full of fire and anger and she gets dragged back to Mother Gothel and she confronts her mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how dare you do this? How dare you do that? I'm going to, you know, tell everybody I'm going to make you pay. And so she's actually taken away by this giant named Brute. Yes. Who takes her to this swamp on Mother Gothel's orders mm-hmm. and puts her in this very, very tall hollow tree. That Mother Gothel has grown yes. to imprison Rapunzel. Yes, this whole forest is like fed by 
Gothel's growth magic. And in this sequence, we also learn Gothel's motives behind stealing Rapunzel from her parents in the first place. So we learn that she really was making an example of her parents and making sure that no one ever stole from her garden again. But in addition to that, she was also looking for someone who would eventually inherit this Wild West empire that she has built. So she's kind of got these two things that it's like she need, she needed to make an example so that people didn't try to do this again. And so she needed to, to go to an extreme, which is why she took a child. But also it works out because she doesn't have her own child. She wants someone to be able to carry on her legacy. And I really like this kind of double imprisonment narrative in a way, because Mm -hmm. when Rapunzel is a child growing up in this secluded villa, she's still in prison. She doesn't realize it entirely, Mm -hmm. but there is that wall around. She is like kept behind that wall. And so there's like that kind of idea of being trapped in the tower. And then when she mouths off to Mother Gothel, she gets put into this actual tower yeah tree and tower she's left alone there entirely um mother mm-hmm. gothel only visits once a year on her birthday yeah, yeah. to say it's hey extreme. are you gonna be good and come home and take over my empire or are you gonna be stuck in this tree for another year mm-hmm. and she always gets stuck in the tree for another year and the tree takes care magically of everything she needs like it grows food for her it keeps yes. her warm in the winter but yes. she's also kind of infected by the growth magic that permeates the whole forest, and that's why her hair grows so long. Yes, I love that. And so smart. Yeah, that was so smart. Yeah. But she's there for four years, mm-hmm. and she tries at times to escape, but her hair is never like quite long enough to actually get her out of the tree. Right. And what I what I like about kind of this setup. From the beginning, we get there's like this one guard who would teach her lasso tricks. Mm-hmm. Mason. And so when she's in the tree to pass the time, she like uses her hair, her braids as lassos. Yes. And so she like hones those skills because she doesn't have anything else to do. Yes. And so on her 16th birthday, Gothel comes once again and says, this is the last time I'm going to come and see you. So either you have to agree to be my heir and come back with me. Or you will stay here and die. And Rapunzel refuses to go. Um, she decides to stay there and die. So the window of the tree tower starts to grow in on itself. But before it can, Rapunzel uses her hair as a lasso and she manages to escape the tower finally. Yeah. And I love Shannon and Dean. The Hales do this at a few points through the story mm-hmm. where the narrative from Rapunzel, which is in these like yellow boxes on the pictures, is in direct contrast to what's actually happening in the images. So here she talks about how, and I lassoed the tree and with amazing grace <laughs> and strength, I like, you know, made it down and landed triumphantly on the forest floor and the images show her like... missing a branch and then another one breaks and she goes like crashing and she lands like in this swamp yes they do that a few times and it's very funny every time it happens yeah it's clever it's a nice little use of the again of the storytelling method Mm -hmm. you know where where it's the the words working together with the images in a way that you wouldn't have for just a straight prose novel yeah, yeah, you're right. Interesting, too, that we have no prince character at all. Nope. We are in the tower and back out of the tower, and 
no one has shown up. She's only seen Gothel through this whole thing. Yep. And she gets out of the tower completely on her own Mm -hmm. with her hair. And then as she's in the swamp, she gets, like, attacked by this giant boar. And she, like, she's on the verge of, like, capturing this giant boar that she's going to ride around on when this this adventuring hero cowboy (laughs) comes along and, like, kills the pig and he's awful, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm here to rescue the uh, the girl who's in the tower." Except that Mother Gothel would kill me if I actually rescued her, so I'm just gonna have some fun with her and tell her I'm gonna rescue her. And so you can tell he's supposed to be this, you know. Yeah, he's the he's the prince, prince character, character, but he's awful. And so she doesn't tell him that she's the girl in the tower. Uh-huh. Instead, she tells him she's like, "Yeah, the tower's right over that way." She's kind of deaf though, so just keep yelling; she'll hear you eventually. <laughs> I, uh, Which I thought was fun. I thought for sure he would come back and like play uh, another role, but he doesn't. This is his only yep. scene. To be a jerk and to get appropriately punished for it. So Rapunzel now makes her way to a saloon. And at this saloon, she sees people for the first time in four years. And this girl comes in and she is carrying a goose. And it's very quickly revealed that this girl is actually a boy in disguise and there's this whole fight that ensues and Rapunzel comes to his defense. She helps him by using her hair as a whip and they steal these horses and leave. And she finally, they stop and they introduce each other. And uh, this boy is Jack. Jack with a goose. And the goose is named Goldie. It is. Yes. And they find a map in one of the horses like, satchels or whatever and it reveals that like the whole land the land where they live is named gothel's reach so rapunzel starting to piece together that like gothel is this overlord of this whole land yeah so she's like we said earlier she's using her power to get more and more land under her control and as jack and rapunzel like journey to make their way to the villa to confront mother gothel about all of this they meet all of these different people who have been affected mm-hmm. by Mother Gothel in different ways. And one of the things I really appreciate about the art in this portion of the story is the diversity that's represented on the page in terms yeah. of race. Because one of my big, uh, big, big things that I will lecture people about if they give me half a chance is that the Wild West narrative that we kind of buy into is inherently flawed. Because the people who were doing expansion and being cowboys generally were not white. They were Native Mm. American and they were Hispanic and they were black. And so I Mm -hmm. appreciate that Jack is drawn to be very clearly of Native American descent. The people that they meet in these towns are all people of color for the most part. Mm -hmm. And there are white people, Mm -hmm. too, who are also being oppressed by Gothel and her overreaching. But it's really clearly shown that it's the the racial minorities who are being most severely impacted by what's happening yeah and i appreciate that yeah i do too you know i always say representation matters and we didn't really talk about it but grounded last week does a really good job uh, megan morrison in her whole series she includes representation not quite in the same way but it's more casual representation which i think is also very important you know we need to see so jack in that story is asian and it's very important to see 
characters of color and characters of other minority groups who are represented who are represented not just because of the fact that they are people of color and queer people and uh disabled but that they can be included in these stories and you know those aspects of their personality don't need to have anything to do with the story jack is asian east asian but he's allowed to still just be jack there's no other you know part to it he gets to just participate in this fantastic story as just a character you know yeah it's really really great and it's really important um and i feel like it's especially important when you do have a visual medium as Mm -hmm. part of your storytelling Mm -hmm. because you can as a prose author you can oftentimes just like not include physical descriptions at all and so anybody could be anything but when you're doing a visual representation you have to make those choices and so i appreciate the people who make the choices of we're going to include diversity it's going to be here on the page for you to see with your eyes uh, and that is is really important as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. So these two kind of fall in together as uh, wanted criminals, <laughs> and we never fully get Jack's story. We know that he's had some trouble with uh, giants and magic in the past, but it's not really expanded on. There's actually a sequel to this graphic novel called Calamity Jack mm-hmm. uh, that gets more into his story and her their interpretation of the Jack and the Beanstalk story that kind of ties it together. Is that set before Rapunzel's Revenge or after? Uh, it It's kind of around. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> so it starts before Rapunzel mm-hmm. and then he gets to a point and he's like, and then I met Rapunzel and we had this adventure. Yeah. And then, and then I had to go back and fix the problems that I solved. And okay. so it's like, it, it encompasses Rapunzel's Revenge. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I was curious. It's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, so we, we don't fully get his backstory, but mm-hmm. we know that he's got some trouble. And I love watching these two because they immediately like fall in together and they're like, we're going to help each other. We've got a common goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both wanted, so we might as well watch each other's backs as we journey and as we travel. I love the bickering between the two of them the like playful banter he calls her punzi yes which i adore and which she hates yes well punzi is funny to me because the tangled fandom uses punzi on the regular like Mm -hmm. if you're on any kind of you know tumblr instagram or something they call rapunzel punzi and uh it's not really used anywhere else so i i was I thought it was so funny when I opened this book and I was like, he's calling her Punzi. And this predates Tangled. It does. Tangled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This book comes out in 2008. Tangled doesn't come out till 2011. Yeah. But I mean, if you think about it, there's not that many ways to nickname Rapunzel. No, it's it's true. But I I just had never seen it anywhere else. Everyone else just uses the full name Rapunzel, except for Donna Jo Napoli. Which we'll talk about next week. Which we'll talk about next week. But yeah, I I thought it was so fun that he uses that. Yeah. So he calls her Punzi, which is cute. Uh, mm-hmm. And she hates it. And like every time they get into shenanigans, one of his plans is always like, well, we could put you in a dress and have you be in disguise. And she's like, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and yes. it should be noted that she spends a long time of their adventures in the beginning 
in the same dress that she was wearing at her 12th birthday because Mother Gothel never brought her any new clothes. And so she's in this dress that's like too small and it's torn to shreds. And eventually she gets uh, some new clothes. She gets these these kick-ass, you know, cowgirl digs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That are pretty cool. She looks like she looks like a. Indiana Jones meets Jesse the Yodeling Cowgirl from yes. Toy Story. That's Yes, that's exactly what she looks like. With these long yeah. red lasso braids. It's it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's it's a great mm-hmm. great look. I'm here for it. Yeah. And so yeah, so they they make their way slowly to Gothel's villa, learning more about the lands and mm-hmm. more about all of the different ways that Gothel's been oppressing these people and you know, becoming more and more determined to free Rapunzel's mother. And put this to right. Because it starts off with just, I need to get my mother out of prison and then we can escape and get away. And it becomes, no, I have a responsibility to help these people if I can. And so that becomes her new goal. Yeah. Her, yeah. Her goal grows. So eventually, after Jack and Rapunzel have traveled the land and met all of these characters, they end up in an area called the Devil's Armpit. And they meet these troop of actors who are traveling to perform at this shindig at Gothel's villa and they help the actors out so the actors agree to help them get into the shindig so that they can try to bring Gothel down um and they they also run into Mason who was the servant who had been friends with Rapunzel before and he reveals that Kate Rapunzel's mother is locked up in the villa's dungeon so their intention is to break into the shindig save Kate and bring Gothel down they've also been led to believe that Gothel may have some kind of totem that is the source of her power that uh earlier they met the man who kind of trained Gothel in her magic and so he's revealed that to them that there may be something like an item that they're trying to find in order to bring her down. Yeah, that's keyed to her power, basically. Yeah. So at the shindig, Jack is the one who is responsible for causing a distraction. And how else would Jack of Meadsock fame cause a distraction? He plants a bean. And because of Gothel's growth magic, this bean grows immediately and it grows to ginormous proportions and it kind of wraps itself into the villa itself so rapunzel's villa tower and the beanstalk become one as it all morphs together in this awesome visual it's really really cool yeah and Rapunzel has been in disguise in a dress, so finally yes. Jack's plan yes. came to fruition. She's in this beautiful uh, gown. She's, she's caught by Brute, and he takes her to Gothel mm-hmm. um, as the beanstalk is, like, exploding everything. And Rapunzel actually manages to get Brute on her side by realizing that probably he's been used as much as she has by Mother Gothel. Mm-hmm. And she used her growth magic to make him big and make him, you know her muscle when he was just a child and so she kind of gets him on her side which mother gothel is horrified about yes uh but he tells them he's like yeah once a month she makes me stand guard while she goes and gets this little tree out of her safe and so rapunzel's able to go there and she's got this like magic pickaxe that she was Mm -hmm. given by some dwarves that they met on their adventures 
and she uses that pickaxe to break the glass around this little tiny glowing golden tree. Yes. That is the source of Mother Gothel's power. And that makes the tree explode into huge growth and it intertwines with the beanstalk again in this really beautiful visual. Mm-hmm. And then the tree kind of swallows Mother Gothel and she is, that's how she is defeated by Rapunzel and by Jack. Yeah, she she's like absorbed into the tree. Yeah. And um, the the book kind of ends with the people are celebrating Rapunzel, though she's freed Kate and she just is she's not participating in these celebrations she's just sitting down and and talking with her mother and her mother calls her annie so we learned what her real name would have been and at this point mother gothel has cut off her braids and so jack and rapunzel use the braids to they climb the the clock tower beanstalk tree concoction and they watch as dawn rises, they see the land coming to life once again as everything returns to its former state before Gothel, you know, sucked all of the life out of it. And uh, they kiss, and Goldie the Goose lays a golden egg. And that's Rapunzel's Revenge. And that's the end of this book. But the story does continue in Calamity Jack. Yes, I know. I need the rest of the story now. Yeah, yeah, and I can't believe I forgot to mention that Mother Gothel cuts off Rapunzel's hair because that is from the story. And yeah, so the, the braid is cut and we're left with Punzi with her pixie haircut, which is such a kind of iconic image from a lot of these stories. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you usually see her with like super, super short hair. Yeah, it's it's a cute little story. I enjoy it a lot. I It's not, you know... The be-all and end-all of fairy tale retellings, but it's fun. And no, it's fun. And it's so different. It's very unique. Yeah, I think this was a fun one to do because next week's Rapunzel is very traditional. Yes. Zell by Donna Jo Napoli is, you know, an exploration of... It's almost like you take the fairy tale as it is and you just expand it and just look at it in more depth. Whereas this takes Rapunzel and completely changes it. And there's a lot of elements of the original story that we don't get in this one so again there's no mm-hmm. prince uh mm-hmm. jack does and doesn't fill that role yeah i mean he's there as a male character like there's the romance with jack but it's not he's not playing the role of the prince from no. the original story there's nothing with like healing tears or healing magic mm-hmm. and and again the the focus like last week the bulk of the story is actually on that like gap in Rapunzel's fairy tale where she leaves the tower and then there's the end of the happily ever after and so it kind of fills that in yeah and so it's using Rapunzel very much as like a starting point to tell that expanded story whereas next week's is very much a traditional retelling and I think it's interesting to see how many variations and again this is more for our wrap-up but it's interesting to me to look at who mm-hmm. takes the story and tells it traditionally and who takes the story and kind of uses it as a jumping off point to expand into a world that they've built. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think Rapunzel is used as one of those two things more often than not. Yeah. I mean, in this book, they don't even use Rapunzel's hair to climb the tower. Mother Gothel uses her like growth magic to have mm-hmm. like the swamp itself like lift her up 
to the tower. The only time we see Rapunzel's hair used to climb, I think, is at the very end once it's already been cut off. Am I missing one? Which I actually really like. Like, she uses yeah. it to get out of the tower. Yeah, that is true. So she yeah. she climbs down her t- hair to get out of the tower. To varying degrees of success. With varying degrees of success. Yeah. But the bit at the end, I think, is really cute because we do actually yeah. have Jack standing below on the ground with Rapunzel above going, hey, Punzi, Punzi, let your hair back down. I want to come yes. up there. Yes. And it's it's a nice little nod. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And so that was cute. I thought that was adorable. Yeah, for sure. It's a fun book. It is. Let's uh let's talk about how it approaches our criteria. Okay, for cool. This fairy tale. So, uh number 1, does it explore Rapunzel's childhood with Mother Gothel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure, we we get a great picture of what her childhood is like before the tower, what it's like in the tower. And her relationship with Mother Gothel overall. And I like that it it pays homage to the whole bit from the fairy tale about when she was 12, she was put in the tower. Mm-hmm. So that that is still part of the story. When she's yeah. 12, literally on her 12th birthday, she's put in the tower. And we do get to see before then, this is what it was like growing up in the villa. Yeah, and we get a very clear reason about why she's put into the tower at 12. And it's because mm-hmm. she meets her mother and accidentally discovers the truth of her her childhood and her past. And so that's why she is sent away. Uh, number two in our criteria, we want the story to contextualize the magical elements from the fairy tale. So we're looking at, did magic play a part in Rapunzel's parents' actions? How did their hair grow long? Why did her tears heal the prince's eyes? But mostly we're looking at the magic to make sense within the context of this retelling. And I think this does this extremely successfully. Absolutely. I love the answer of the villain of this story having growth magic. I think Mm -hmm. that that explains the garden that the lettuce gets stolen from and it explains her hair. Uh, It just really helps tie everything together. I like also the, the context of growing the lettuce that her parents stole because it's not even so much like I have this pregnancy craving and I need you to go get me that lettuce specifically. It's I am living in a village where our crops are being slowly and steadily like lessened and lessened. And so they're not going to be nutritious and she's, you know, pregnant Mm. and she needs nutrients. And there's this beautiful garden that's being grown with all this magic that's being kept from the common people. And so it it makes that request, I think, more understandable in a way yeah. than the fairy tale itself does. Yeah, you're right. That's cool. Um, I also think that the growth magic helps the link with Jack and the Beanstalk make a lot more sense. Because even yes. if you didn't have Calamity Jack, that I assume ties in the Jack and the Beanstalk story even more. Yes. Oh, yes. Even if you didn't have that, you could accept what's in here as a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk. Because you have this bean, you have the beanstalk is there, and you have Brute the giant. You have all of the elements. You have the the goose that leads the golden egg. Those The elements are there, just mm-hmm. not in the full story format of Jack and the yeah. Beanstalk. So, like I said, even without Calamity Jack, you know, you can accept this as partly a jack in the beanstalk retelling you absolutely can and the the visual of the villa and the beanstalk winding together 
is a really cool metaphor of the two stories being wound together as well. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. in this world to combine these two characters. Yeah. Which is not to say that it didn't make sense in Grounded, because I think it did there too, but it makes sense in a different way in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that their relationship between Jack and Rapunzel is different between the two books. In this one, they Mm -hmm. are very compatible. Uh, You know, they tease each other some, but they're like mostly on the same page. Whereas in Grounded, they're at odds for a lot of the book. Um, And both of those relationships make sense and work really well within the context of their individual stories. Absolutely. All right. Our, Our third criteria is we want the story to wrap up the loose ends from the fairy tale. What happened to Rapunzel's parents? What happens to Mother Gothel? What happens to the prince? What happens to the kids? What happens with the pregnancy? There's no pregnancy in this one. No pregnancy, no prince, no kids. But yes, but it does explain the parents. Mm-hmm. They're well, the mother is a character. We're told that the father died, which I feel like is is believable because yes. of the life that she's painted for these slaves. Yeah. The the people who've been enslaved were told that he dies because in situations like that, you're going to have a lot of casualties. Yeah. And so we find out what happened to the parents. It wasn't, I made a bargain with you for my child. It was, I was punished for stealing and this was the punishment. Yeah, exactly. And Rapunzel also, she's not taken as a baby. We see images of Rapunzel being taken from her parents by Mother Gothel and she's I mean, I would say like four or five at the least. So I think that's cool that it brings in that element from our older fairy tales, like the Italian version, where she initially grows up with her parents, but then Mother Gothel takes her as punishment. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on Rapunzel's revenge? I like this story. I think it's fun. Uh, it's it's one of my kind of go-to recommendations at the library because it's it's a quick, easy read. It's a fun graphic novel. It's a well-done graphic novel. And I think that it's a really unique spin on the story. Like, I would never think to put Rapunzel in the Wild West, yeah. <laughs> in a magical version of the Wild West at that. Uh, but I think it works really well. I love the tone of the story. I love the visuals and I think it's lots of fun. Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. Does Calamity Jack bring in any other fairy tales? I don't think so. It's been a while since I've read it. Okay, um, that's okay. I was just curious. I feel like if it did, you would remember very clearly. It's got... This is where the Jabberwock is from. The Jabberwock is a character in this, so there's a little tiny, tiny bit Okay. of an Alice tie-in. That's interesting. And Jack's best friend is a fairy. Oh. Which for me feels a little bit like a Peter Pan. Yeah, I could see that. Kind of tie-in. He's got the Peter Pan rambunctious personality. That's for sure. Yeah. So Rapunzel's Revenge is really like out there in the Wild West. Like we've got saloons and we've got mm-hmm. the desert and we've got, you know, cowboys and all that kind of stuff. And this is more like independence. Oh, the, interesting. like the the town at the start of like the Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. So it's it's much more like I don't want to say civilized versus okay the wild, sure. but it's it's that kind of idea. So it takes place in a town that is much more like permanent and put together okay. than like the pop up kind of yeah. mining towns yeah. that we see in Rapunzel. Okay, that makes sense. 
There's a lot more technology. It's much more of a steampunk feel. Mm, okay. Interesting. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. I'm going to have to go get it from the library. You should. It's lots of fun. And Rapunzel's got a cute new book in it, too. Oh, that's fun. But, like, they've got, like, Zeppelins and... Ooh. You know. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that so it's is like much there's, more there's more, there's more technology to play with. Okay, that's cool. I, I think the so. discussion of magic versus technology is interesting. So, yeah. So, I think it's mostly still just Rapunzel... The story of Rapunzel's not as much in there, but it's sure. mostly just Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. There's those little tastes of yeah, uh, other things. Alice Wonderland just with the Jabberwock. Okay, cool. And there's yeah, there's other races. So yeah, it's you should check both of them out. They're lots of fun. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps us up on Rapunzel's Revenge. Next week, as we've mentioned a couple times already, we will be talking about Zell by Donna Jo Napoli, which I'm very excited. Which I think was the first rapunzel retelling i read oh it's definitely the first rapunzel retelling i ever read and one of the first fairy tale retellings i ever read um i think after ella enchanted i really fell into the donna jo napoli world next so yeah it was early for me i remember i read it in high school and i specifically remember that because the picture of rapunzel on the front Mm -hmm. looked Almost identical to a girl I was in choir with. Oh, interesting. And it was weird. Oh, that is weird. All right. Well, what do we say here at the end? Oh, all of our fun <laughs> come join us things. So come join us on Facebook. Come join us on Instagram. Come join us. Those are our main two places. Just search of slippers and spindles. You'll find us. We're super easy to find. Uh, if you want to email us, we're of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. If you're having fun and want to leave us a review, we love them. I check them every day to see if there's anything uh, that's been posted in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. And uh, yeah. And I think by the time this drops, we will also have dropped our guest episode over on the Prince Kai fan pod. Ooh, that's right. So I know a lot of people have asked if we're going to be covering Cress at all from the Lunar Chronicles as we talk about Rapunzel. And the answer is not really, just because Mm -hmm. it is like so entrenched in the series that it becomes hard to talk about it as a fairy tale. I imagine we'll touch on it a little bit because Cress is actually one of my favorite interpretations of Rapunzel in a fairy tale retelling. It does Uh, some cool things with the story elements. Yeah, but we'll touch on that a little bit, probably in our wrap up. But but yeah, so check out our guest episode on Prince Kai Fan Pod. Yes, we were on episode 77 of Prince Kai Fan Pod. Uh, we loved talking with Bethany and getting to really chat for a lot longer than we usually do on these podcasts and diving into the two chapters that we covered with her into a lot of detail. So if you want to hear us talking about the Lunar Chronicles some more and Cress specifically, since it is our Rapunzel month, check out that episode and until next time friends we'll see you next week we'll see you around Mm